Well, hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. I'm your host, Jim Henry. I'm excited to finally announce the release of the Pro Tips book, 50 Pro Tips for Musicians. It contains many of the tips we've discussed here on the podcast, personal insights about each one, and features original illustrations by Ruby Henry. To order your copy today, go to protipsformusicians.com or jimhenry.net. Funding for this and every show comes from generous listeners who each contribute a small amount every month. Patrons like Maria Sangiolo, Bob Fishman, Kristen Andrews, and the good folks at Club Pass Aim are just a few of the listeners who contribute because they believe in the podcast. This ongoing support makes it possible for me to continue to produce shows. For as little as $2 a month, you can be a part of the Pro Tips family. In return, you'll get access to outtakes, music, and videos not available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash jimhenry and help me keep the Pro Tips podcast going. Today on the show, we have Jim Olson. Jim is one of the co-founders of the Signature Sounds Recording Company. He's been a longtime on-air DJ at WRSI radio station in Northampton, Massachusetts. He started and continues to help run a 100-seat listening venue, The Parlor Room, also in Northampton. He promotes shows at larger venues around New England and is the director and booker for one of the best-loved and highly regarded music festivals on the East Coast, the Green River Festival. Jim has an uncanny ability to seek out and find the highest quality artists. His reputation as a champion of great songwriting has made Signature Sounds home to some of the best artists in Americana music today. Current and former artists on the Signature roster include two-time Grammy winner Lori McKenna, Grammy nominee Mary Gaucher, internet sensation Lake Street Dive, blues legend Chris Smither, world-class songwriters Josh Ritter and Richard Schindel, as well as exciting newcomers like Heather Maloney and The Kids and The Suitcase Junket. Jim has an abiding love of music and a passion for sharing it with others. It's an honor to have him on the show today, so let's say hello to Jim Olson. Hello, Jim Olson. Hello, Jim Henry. <laughs> How you doing? I'm excellent, thanks. Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I love the concept. I, I, I love the podcast idea. It's, uh, it's uh, such a great new medium for this sort of thing. And we were just talking about a podcast that you are enjoying, which is... It's called Cocaine and Rhinestones, and it's about the history of country music. Uh, each episode, which ranges from 45 minutes to two hours, wow. takes on uh, a legend of country music. And the amount of research and detail that uh, this guy, his name is Tyler Mahan Coe. I'm, I'm just amazed at, at the amount of research that the guy does for... Uh, for that, and, and the amount of music you hear that uh, is, you know, he's unearthed that isn't uh, easily findable, for even, so, even he, from well-known people. He plays plays cuts on the he on plays the show. cuts on it as well. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, but we're here now on the Pro Tips podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Enough <laughs> plugging other podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so usually we start out with I ask, um, do you remember how we met? Remember where we met or how we met? Uh, all I remember, Jim, is seeing the Sun Dogs oh, yeah. at, I believe, your house. At my house? In your kitchen, possibly. Some sort of house party 
way wow. back in the late 80s, early 90s. The Sundogs in my house. Or somebody's house. Uh-huh. But I remember seeing the Sundogs, and I'm pretty sure we met that night. That's so funny. I, what I remember, when I remember, the, my first memory of you is I went out for a very, like a microsecond with Sherry McSpaden. Oh, right. <laughs> That's a blast from the past. Yeah, who was a DJ at WRSI. And uh, I went up there, uh, I went up to, up to the station for some reason, mm-hmm. and I think that's, she introduced me to you then, and you were, the, I think, the program director? That's right. At that point? That's right. That was my gig for a while before starting up Signature Sounds. And, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your history and, and how you've got to where you are now. Um, but that was probably 80... Five, you know, 85, 86. Yeah, that was, a long time ago. that was right near the beginning for me of, of, of being here. Yeah. Well, let's, well then let's talk about, your, about your, uh, how you got to where you are now. I met you. You were a DJ and program director. Yes. Were you doing that for a while before? I, I did. I mean, that's my, that was my uh, window into the music world. It, it happened when I was in college. I actually grew up in the New York area on Long Island in the 60s where the AM radio was just magic. And that, that was my inspiration for the whole thing. I, I went to college to study healthcare administration, of which I have <laughs> a degree in healthcare administration. <laughs> a little fallback plan there. Yeah, right. And uh, a friend of mine happened to be on the college radio station, and uh, when it occurred to me that Anybody could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Any trained monkey. <laughs> it was a heck of a lot more fun than healthcare administration. And uh, I ended up doing that at college. And then when college was over, I said, you know, nursing home or playing records for a living. <laughs> Let me think about this for 10 seconds uh, yeah. and, and, and went on that path. So I had a number of uh, radio jobs right after college. I kind of moved around a lot. I was in Rhode Island for a while. I lived in Portland, Maine for a while. And then I was hired by WRSI in November of 1984. Wow. Moved here shortly thereafter. And so you get hired as the program director? I didn't. I got hired as a part-time guy. It was right before the holidays right before Thanksgiving weekend, and I was under the impression that they were very short-staffed because <laughs> Ed Skutnik hired me pretty much on the spot to go in and start, you know, can you, you, start fill, now. Can you fill this shift, that shift, and that shift? Yes, I can. And, uh, and it just grew from there. Within about six months, I was, I was named program director. What, what is a program director? Radio has changed so much since those days. Um, back then, uh, of course, all radio was done in real time. You had DJs sitting at the turntables for 24 hours a day playing records. So program director essentially manages all that. They, they uh, help formulate and direct and guide the programming of, of the station, both musically and, and otherwise, and uh, basically supervises the air staff. Do you miss it? Do you miss doing that? I don't, because uh, <laughs> my favorite part of radio actually was doing the DJing, and I still get to do that every Sunday morning on the river. So I've, I've been able to, to keep my passion alive for it, which is uh, it's a great... It, I, I kind of consider it my creative outlet. So how many years is that that you've been on the air? I have been on the river. This is, this is terrifying. I have been on the <laughs> river 34 years, Jim. Wow. 
<laughs> there, was, there was one period right after my kids were born that I wasn't on for about six months, but that's the only break I've taken in those 34 yeah. years. I think there's a gold watch in your future. <laughs> <laughs> something. There's got to be something. And it's to the point, uh, you know, at, at the river now where the way radio is programmed now is so different. It's all on the computer, and I'm... I'm the last guy there who's sort of slaving over the turntables and programming the music in real time. And, and, so do you and go in on Sunday mornings I, and do I, it? I go in on Sunday mornings and I do it live, yeah. yeah. Do people send you CDs to play on the radio all the time? Absolutely, yes. Send you, uh, Jim, the DJ, right? I get them both for the radio and for the record label. I get people sending, and to, to play shows at our venues, you know, because we do... We, we uh, present a fair amount of live. Music. So you get a lot of CDs. I, I get imagine. a lot of CDs. Although these days I'm also just getting a lot of uh, you know SoundClouds, a lot of files, a lot of emails with with music files. And ha- do you, you prefer that the sound, the digital stuff? I do only because it's uh, easier to deal with. Probably. It's easier to deal with. It's easier to check out in a, in a few minutes. Um, CDs at this point. I still I still enjoy CDs, but. They're getting uh, less and less e- easy to 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 use. Uh, you know, a lot of cars now don't have CD players. Computers right. don't have CD players. I'm I'm sorry that that they seem to be going away, or at least uh, being de-emphasized. But can't stop the train. There it goes. <laughs> so, what about vinyl? You still use vinyl on your radio show? I actually do not use vinyl on my radio show. Yeah. Um, are there turntables in the radio station? There, there are actually. Yep. But but uh, I, I in in with great foresight in the mid late eighties, uh, one day dragged my entire three thousand LP collection to Dynamite Records in Thorns Market. Oh wow! Had to have like three guys help me. <laughs> I sold it to them in bulk. Wow! And I you know I hate to think about it too much because what that what, what was in there in today's value would be would be huge but you know what it's like moving and having to move the LPs oh, yeah. Jim yeah I think I left my I just left mine at the last place I moved from <laughs> I just <laughs> left it in the basement I think <laughs> yeah it's uh, you know I, I love the nostalgia value uh, of LPs but honestly I, I think the whole thing's a little bit silly yeah so people will send you a SoundCloud link or a, uh, an MP3 or something. Yeah. And do you always listen to that stuff? I try to. I so- try to listen to a lot of it. it. It it really depends. There's so much music, and you know you you kind of have to prioritize things. And and I have different needs. The you know what I li- what I need to listen to for the radio is different than what I need to listen to for the label. Let's stick with the radio for just a second. If, if so, if somebody wanted to send you something. A, would you encourage that? And B, like if stuff comes to you unsolicited, how do you deal with it? Um, I have to admit that it's, uh, it often doesn't get dealt with. Yeah. It, it, it just, there's just too much to listen to. Yeah. But, you know, a thoughtful email, well-crafted email with brief email uh, <laughs> with just a couple of bullet points about why I should pay attention to this. Did you work with notable people on it? Um, are you having success as a touring artist? What is it about this song? And, and one thing I encourage is, please don't send me your entire catalog. I, right. I don't want you know, hours of music to wade through. I'm not gonna do it. Right. Send me your two, three best songs at most. Send me your best song. Right. 
I'm much more likely to listen to that than I am to listen to a, to a bunch of stuff. Right, here's and my if, it, if it strikes my fancy and, and you hear back from me, maybe I'll ask you to send the rest of it and send me a CD or you know, how, how else I could access the music. But we're all just bombarded with so much media these days. Right. Uh, it's so hard to cut through. Where This is a this question I wanted, I wanted to ask, but also I asked some of the, the patrons, Patreon patrons, if they had questions. You kind of have a reputation as a guy who has a nose for chestnuts, musical chestnuts. You, you seek out and, and find really unique and, and interesting and good artists. How do you do that? Well, uh, you know, as far as the label goes, we can only sign, you know, one artist a year maybe. And so, and we're, because we're, we're working with a lot of great people and... and the nature of the business right now, it, it doesn't make financial sense to put out 20 records a year and uh, we just burn out on it. So we, we put out five or six albums a year at most. We're working with a bunch of people. So that means we can only take on right. someone occasionally. So when you're, when you're looking for that one person or, or you find that one person, it, it's got to be something unique and distinctive and, and something that has potential. What, what a label has come to be for me in, in this day and age is we're here to support touring artists, and that's not for everybody. Right. And that, that's sort of where it, where it starts. If you're just making records for your own enjoyment or just want to stay in your local area, I think, I think it's great. Don't get me wrong, but we're, we're probably not for you because... You can't sell records for people who don't tour. Yeah. Can't it's, do it. It's simple as that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so that, you know, that, that becomes sort of criteria number one before we even will look at it. Is, is, is to tour or, or to have the potential and the desire to turn into that sort of touring act, to be willing to put in that investment. And it's, it, it's not to be taken lightly because it's a huge investment. Yeah. I was kind of thinking more about the Green River Festival. Like, I'm always surprised at, at the diverse lineup you have, and I haven't heard of most of them, and they're all great. I'm kind of curious, where do you find those acts? Uh, just, uh, I'm a huge music fan. P- part of, you know, what drives this whole thing is just my love of a lot of different kinds of music and live music in particular and festival music in particular. I love to go to other festivals. I love to see what works and what doesn't work for people. For me, the music industry has gone through such huge changes since we started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But the, the one constant thing is great live performance. It, it can't be duplicated. It can't be experienced another way. Yes, you can watch a video on your computer and, and get a sense of it, but there's nothing like being right there. For me, that, that joy of discovering a great new artist is kind of what drives the whole thing. So that's what we're trying to do with Green River, just sort of match that balance of enough people there you've heard of and want to see gets you there so we can introduce you to a whole bunch of new right. people. You go to different festivals throughout the year? I do go to a fair amount of, of music festivals and also music conferences, which um, something like the Americana Music Conference, it's basically a, a festival for the industry. You know, you see in the course of three or four days. This year, I, I, I think I counted, I saw 35 bands wow. over three days. Let me, um, let me ask you a question <laughs> about Americana. Can you define Americana for me? Like, what is the definition? For me... I just think it music that is closely related to some form of American roots music, be it blues, be it bluegrass, be it country music, it has to have that seed in it 
and grow from there. It isn't something that's easy to define. Because it's a whole category of music now. It's, it's <laughs> a catch-all. A it's a catch-all. There's, uh -huh. no, there's, no, there's no question about it. You can't, you can't let that scare you off. No, I was just curious if there was an industry definition of what Americana was. There isn't, and it's so funny because every year at this Americana Music Conference, which is now 20-something years old, there's always, it always comes up like, what is this? How are we <laughs> defining ourselves? <laughs> Meanwhile, the thing is growing like a weed, and it really, it, now it takes over Nashville for a week, and it's kind of like South by Southwest in, uh -huh. in Austin. It's, it's getting that big. Wow. Do, do you go to South by Southwest? I used to. I, I haven't gone in a few years. Um, it, it, it sort of became spring break somewhere along the way. Right. And it's, it's more about a party than it is about music. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of genres of, of music that are featured at South By that I'm not particularly interested in. I can't say I, I won't go to it, but I, yeah. I, I don't go that often. Yeah. Well, since I've known you, you've been a DJ, mm -hmm. a concert promoter, just an event promoter, Started Signature Sounds, a record label. Started the Green River Festival, and started the Parlor Room. Would you agree that those <laughs> you have done all those things? I've done all those things. That's that's an amazing. Uh, not all of by stuff. myself, obviously. I work with other people, but but you know, that's a that's a lot of stuff, and it's a lot. It's a big commitment. It's and been it's, a long time, Jim. I know. I know. <laughs> it's not like I did all this in a week or something. You know, <laughs> the Green River Festival. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty big at this point. It's, a, it's just a nice size, I think. We have this wonderful site at Greenfield Community College, which is so big. You know, at right. this point, it's, we're allowed to sell 5,000 tickets a day. That's our palette, and it's, it's kind of nice to, to not get delusions of grandeur. And like, <laughs> let's try and make this thing Bonnaroo. So we make it work at that scale and try to be the best music experience we can be for you know, at that scale. Well, it's, it is, it's a great festival. Are you like the CEO, executive director of the thing? Is that the deal? Basically, yes. Yeah. There are different aspects of it that all have somebody else in charge. So like there's security, there's sound, there's catering, there's yep. We have a staff of about 40 people. Who's, each of them is in charge of... Each, each of them is in charge of some, some piece of it. And then we have 400-something volunteers. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a big undertaking. Yeah. And it's, it's basically become a year-round job. It's something that, you know, it ends in July, and, and within a month you're already getting calls from booking agents about next year and wrapping it up and starting to put things together for the next year. And uh, it's, it's kind of a... <laughs> yeah, at times you wish you could have a little break from it. Yeah, right. It's an annual event. You sound tired already, and it's only October. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not really talking about specific um, yeah, pro well, tips. What are my, yeah, what are my pro tips here for people? Well, um, I mean, you know, the, I think people... Well, the, you know, I, I like the questions from, from your, uh, your patrons. That's well, great. there's some more of them. Oh, here, this is an interesting question. Is, uh, what is your opinion or, or philosophy about openers? Um, do you find them uh, to be a necessary evil, like some people, or are you a fan of... I'm a fan if it's done right. And by done right, meaning it's, it's a good match with the headliner. Um, it's something that complements the evening. And honestly, I, I feel the same way about openers as I do about demo tapes. You know, give me your best 20 minutes. Right. I, I think 
what, when people get annoyed with openers is, is when someone's given a 45-minute set that possibly isn't quite ready for a 45-minute set. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you know, so you're, you're being part of their training session, and that's not the way it should be. It should be, you know, there's so much music out there, and I'm not saying all your, your music isn't valid, but really crafting a few good songs these days is the way to go as opposed to writing a, a huge body of work and expecting people to pay attention. Right. Qual- quality over quantity yep. is almost always the thing. And, and also for openers, a well-thought-out cover goes a long way. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a huge popular song, but if you can you know, open the door for people to your music through, through, a, through someone else's song, there's nothing wrong with that. Do you play anything? Do you play guitar? I play those turntables. <laughs> I, 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 seriously, I am like virtually completely non-musical. <laughs> have you ever have you ever attempted? I've had uh, you know I, I've done a little guitar here and there at times, but it's not enough to stick. Yeah, I get frustrated with myself. <laughs> I've tried piano too. I I get frustrated with myself too. That's <laughs> Jim, you have nothing to be frustrated about. <laughs> Hi, folks. Sorry to interrupt the show, but we'll get back to Jim in just a second. I want to let you know that these podcasts require an enormous investment of time on my part. Each show takes about 40 hours to put together. That includes research, travel, recording, editing, mixing, time to manage the websites, the rewards, and the social media. By contributing as little as $2 a month, you'll be helping me keep the podcast going. So go to patreon.com slash jimhenry and do your part today. Every little bit helps. Now let's get back to Jim Olson. This is a question I had. Was there a, a song or a group that really lit your fire? Was there a specific, you know, to, 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 that really lit your fire for the love of music? That's an excellent question. You know, again, it goes back to that radio in the 60s and... I'm the youngest of four kids, and you know my brothers and sisters' record collections hugely influential. I just from a very early age, I was always just a sponge for music. I just always loved it. I'd say my own like wow moment discovery was the Almond Brothers in uh, the early 1970s. I somehow came across the Allman Brothers and there was something about that music that the, you know, the blues influence w- was really interesting to me. And, you know, I, I feel like it's almost cliche, but the Allman Brothers, between the Allman Brothers, the Grateful Dead and the band, three hugely influential bands for so many people, but the Allman Brothers opened up the blues door for me and, and you know, I, I listened to live at Fillmore East and wonder, well, who is McKinley Morganfield and who is uh, T-Bone Walker? And I, I went back and tried to find that stuff and, mm-hmm. and it, it opened that door for me. The Grateful Dead, sort of kind of the country door and eventually sort of the bluegrass door because Jerry Garcia had that right. old and in the way side yeah. project. That was the first bluegrass I ever listened to. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the band just that sort of, great songwriting, that melting pot of American roots music. They were all a little bit out of step in the time. All my friends were listening to Yes and Jethro Tull uh-huh. and Led Zeppelin. <laughs> uh, the Allman Brothers in particular was like sort of the first band I discovered for myself that I was completely obsessed about. 
And I have to say, even before that, not one specifically, but there was that great singer-songwriter period in the early 70s of James Taylor and Joni Mitchell and Cat Stevens and Elton John and that, you know, right. it was just an era of great song. And I'm not saying this isn't, but right. you really you listen to those records one after another and it's wow. Yeah, it's you pretty, know. it's startling that that's what was on the radio. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Although I was listening to RSI yesterday and, and Joni Mitchell was on there, so... <laughs> It's timeless. Yeah. I, you know, I hate to sound like the old fart, but it's like yeah. that, that music, that, that's, that's going to stand up. Every once in a while it gets pointed out that we're listening to music that's 50 years old, which would, would have been the equivalent <laughs> of when we were growing up <laughs> of listening to music from the 1920s, and we didn't do that. Yeah. Well, they had some great tunes back then, too. They, well, they did, you know. <laughs> But we weren't listening to scratchy 78s when we were right. growing up. Well, it seems like the, there was more of an emphasis on the song and songwriting was really yeah. what was happening. And now you have to seek that out. It's not right. just on the radio all the time. Here's another question. Do you have to say no to people all the time in all your different jobs? <laughs> people are always asking for gigs or they want to play at the festival or they want to you know, get on the radio or whatever. And most of the time you have to say no. It's true. Um, you try to be kind to people and yeah, encur I mean, I mean, encouraging to people. And uh, sometimes, well, I can't do this, but maybe I could help with this. And it's not, it's not a criticism. It's just, uh, it's the nature of the business. It's the nature of the business. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's I so mean, many people asking. Anybody who goes after an artistic endeavor, you have to be ready for re rejection. It's just the way it is. Right. Nobody hits a thousand, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do, and does that, does that wear on you at all? Or is it you've kind of got a thicker skin about it now? I like to think I have a thicker skin about it. It's not like, again, it's not like I feel like I'm being cruel necessarily or that our rejection is breaking anybody's heart necessarily. Right. Because we're not the only door they're trying to open. They're trying to open other doors as well. Right. Right. We, we have a long relationship, and you said no to me lots of times. And, but, I also, but I appreciate that that's, it's, my, it's my job to ask, right. and it's your job to pick whatever you think is going to benefit whatever I'm asking about. Mm -hmm. So one, one, uh, one particular no that comes to mind is a few years ago, Lake Street Dive was playing at Look Park. Mm -hmm. And I said, Jim, you know, I know the answer already, but I have to ask. <laughs> you guys need an opener for this? And you're like, yeah, how much you got? <laughs> Which I thought was funny. I know you well enough and know that that's, it was a long shot, but I had to ask and you had to say no. Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately in a situation like that with a band at that level of success, they're going to pick the openers or at oh, least sure. approve the openers. Right. So it's not even really my decision to make right. necessarily. You know? Right. But, you know, I went into that knowing yeah. what was going to happen, and we have enough of a relationship. It was like, yeah, okay. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. Oh, here's a, here's a little thing that I do. This is called the either-or game. Okay. I'm going to give you two words or two phrases, and you have to pick one, like you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. Oh, boy. One or the other. <laughs> are, are you ready? Yes. Some of them are easy, some of them are hard. Okay, no food involved, right? You're not going to make me choose food groups. Well, we'll see. <laughs> All right, first one. DJ or A&R guy? Rest of your life. DJ. 
email or text? Email. <laughs> Window or aisle? Uh, aisle all the way. Yeah. Uh, theater or club? Club. Festival or concert? Festival. Vinyl or CD? CD. Electric or acoustic? Oh, man. <laughs> That's tough. Acoustic, I guess, but... If you can change your mind. Yeah, acoustic? You acoustic. Go with acoustic? I'm, I'm, going, okay. I'm going acoustic. Okay. Main stage or parlor room stage? Jeez, Jim. <laughs> I'm sorry. These are tough questions. These are tough questions. Main stage. Um, country or Americana? Americana. Bourbon or scotch? Scotch. <laughs> uh, band or solo singer-songwriter? Band. Banjo or fiddle? Fiddle. Richard Thompson or Bruce Coburn? Richard Thompson. And Beatles or Stones? Beatles. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah, that's a tough one. Usually the, usually the bourbon scotch is the toughest question for people, but you, you were just like, no, scotch. No, no I'm, I'm happy with either. But. <laughs> scotch all the way. <laughs> well, one question that, that somebody had was, you have a lot of people that you work with. Was it hard to learn how to delegate? Or yes. A lot, you know, when Signature Sounds was started, it was Mark Thayer and I, and Mark had the studio and I ran the label, and for the longest time, I did everything out of necessity, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Or I had Flora, and she had a defined role. Flora Reed has worked, we've worked together for 21 years now, which wow. is kind of amazing. And so, and the, the festival, when I got involved, it was put on by the local chamber of commerce, a group of well-meaning community members who had no idea how the music <laughs> industry worked. Uh -huh. And so I was sort of, put in charge of that and and so I feel like that that role all everything started sort of small but I've always sort of been the the person who's been at, at the top of that particular heap at least for these two businesses and so it's not like uh, I woke up one day and suddenly I'm in charge of 20 people. It's grown, it's grown <laughs> slowly and organically and well you started you, you dipped your toe into the water by promoting shows around here right like um uh this is before the parlor room and before the festival. Yeah, the, there was definitely a little bit of that, but really not a lot, not, not a lot. The label was sort of the big leap, and, and even that was, you know, started almost as like, this is going to be my hobby to do in addition to radio. Um, wrong. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, you know, I ran into some great artists such as yourself and, and Salamander Crossing and Louise Taylor and... Before I know it, it, it had, you know, I, I, I think back to that. I was like, what was exactly what it, was I thinking <laughs> when I started the label? And I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm, you know, I'm glad it worked out how it did. Yeah. Well, you obviously have a, you love music and you like to be around that's, it. That's the bottom line. You know, I, I sometimes feel the fact that I'm not a musician is sort of an advantage in a weird way. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a different, it's a whole different perspective on it. I don't get caught up in, in specifics of music. Right. right. <laughs> Whatever that's worth. G, A, D, whatever. Yeah. But you must know a lot about musicians at this point. 
<laughs> having to deal with them all the time. I do like dealing with musicians. Yeah? I do. I, I do. Um, it's interesting because of the artists we work with who've become really successful, you started with that personal relationship, and by the end, that relationship wasn't the same because they fill in with managers and booking agents. And, right. And so, you, you know, you're, something like Lake Street Dive, when I first worked with them, it was just me and them and, and me trying to convince them how good they were and why they should quit all their other bands and concentrate uh -huh. on this. And, you know, over the years, it became mostly dealing with their, their people. Right. You know, and, is, that, and, is that a hard transition? It's not. I mean, it, it happens, again, over time, so it's not, it's not like flicking the switch. At, at times, you get, I do find a little nostalgia. It's just a more direct way of helping them and mm -hmm. guiding them and, and feeling involved. When the, when the team is smaller, you're a bigger part of the team. As mm -hmm. the team grows, you become a smaller part of the team, and that's just, just the way it is. That was another question somebody had. So you have to deal... Well, you don't really do the booking here anymore at the parlor room. No, although, you know, it's somewhat of a collaborative process. Obviously, if there's somebody, you know, I come across who I'd love to have played the room, we invite them. Right. But like at the Green River Fest, you do the booking for that. Yes. So you have to deal with booking agents and managers yes. all the time. Yeah. Is that... How do you like that? <laughs> is that... Is that Hard sometimes. It's it is. It's a it's a you know booking for Green River Fest, particularly for sort of the big headline acts, is one of the hardest things we do because you're competing not even nationally but globally for talent. It's a weekend in July, high season, and they jack up the prices, and you're it's just trying to figure out how to book good people at a fair price is 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 difficult, and it's you know, not get sold a bill of goods or right. overpay for things. Or so is there negotiation involved in that particularly? There is. Or? Yeah, there yeah. is. Yep. They come in, they say, huge amount of money. We want $100,000, yeah, right. and we'll say, we want to pay $30,000, yeah, right. and you, you know, it's usually not that big a, a difference, but it, it, it can be pretty substantial. Either somebody's bullshitting or, <laughs> you know, or it's the fact and you, you don't get that artist or there's somebody elsewhere that's willing to pay that kind of big money. Yeah. Well, you get, I mean, you get pretty big acts. For us, it's not, uh, you know, about getting the biggest, hottest names. It's, it's, you know, one of the things I'm proudest of when I look back on the 30-something years of the festival is the list of artists that have played it. I sort of have a, an eternal list of people that I want to make sure at some point we present. And that list gets smaller every year. Where, you know, we're, oh, that's good. We're, we're bringing, I mean, you know, there's certain people that are out of reach. We'll never have Bob Dylan or Willie Nelson or, you know. I thought <laughs> some, Dylan some would play anywhere. Artists, <laughs> I wish. Actually, if the check's big enough, I'm sure he would. Yeah. But, but amongst the, the roots music that I love, you know, we've been able to get a, a pretty good percentage of people and then there's some people that we haven't gotten that that's kind of one thing that keeps me going on it is i feel like we haven't run out of great musicians to present yeah, right and, you know we'll as far as i'm concerned that. you can have los lobos every year well <laughs> <laughs> and that's the temptation too and i, I actually see that with other event with other festivals where they do lean on certain acts that they love and bring them back frankly too often and it, it, it becomes less effective if you do that Oh, yeah. Is it like a rush to sign a contract with somebody who you really wanted to get? It is. It feels, it feels really good. And, 
the best part about booking the festival, it's, it's kind of what I love the most about the whole process is it's a good six to eight month process, even longer than that now, to book the festival. So I'm starting, I've already started for next year, you know, right now it's October. I started last month, but the bulk of it kind of gets done through November through January. Imagine, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle of who you're going to book and where you're going to put them in mm-hmm. the lineup and how, how the days are going to flow. And you have this vision of like what this day is going to be like. Six months later, it's July, and you watch it unfold. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the coolest thing. And sometimes it goes as, as expected. Sometimes it exceeds your expectations. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Sometimes an artist you're really excited about shows up in a bad mood and is a pain in the ass to deal with, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's disappointing. Right. You know, but just that process is one of the things that keeps me going. It's just re- a really, I can't think of a similar process in music that, you know, where you do that. You have to have a vision of this daily schedule six months in advance? Yeah, I mean, you, you always start with the bigger acts just because they eat up most of the budget and you kind of build the day around them. When you're talking to a, a, a main act, you say, okay, we want you on Saturday. Yeah, for instance, you try and, you try to do that. Or do you can, do you say, hey, can we do Friday or Saturday, and we'll figure it out in a month? You have to be flexible. I'm. I just confirmed an artist for for next year who I really wanted to close the festival on Sunday, but the only day they could do it is on Friday. <laughs> and so it was like, are they going to play Friday? Or are we not going to have them? And I was like, okay, well, we'll we'll make Friday work. You know, right. and and. You just, you know, you have to have a little bit of flexibility there. But, it, it, you know, that, and so that right there just ch- totally shifted my vision right. of what we're going for for the rest of it. You know, right. it's like, that's right. just the way it works. Load, yeah. And, and yeah, what you start with for your wish list and what you end up with are two completely different things. Right. Do you actually chart it out? You like write it out? Okay, Friday, I have Saturday, lists. Sunday. I just have lists of, yeah. I'd like to see those lists. <laughs> I guess that's why we're not in your office right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's not top secret information, but you also don't want to spread like, you know, you can get really excited and it seems like you're getting close to an artist that you're really excited about and then it all falls apart. Right, right. And so I don't like to spread a lot of rumors like, hey, we're trying to get yeah, so-and-so yeah, yeah, yeah. at the festival because it'll just be disappointment. Right. No, I like I like the way you do. It. You kind of you roll them out sort of strategically a couple at a time. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, you offered some advice earlier about only send your good songs, keep it short. <laughs> you got any advice for applying to festivals? Well, I mean, the one thing you have to remember about the festival, I, I you know, we get just tons of submissions. Book my band, book my band. We're asking people to pay upwards of a hundred dollars or more to come to this festival. It starts with. You have to fulfill your audience's needs more than right. the artist's needs. Right. So you have to put a, 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 together a lineup that is worth the money. And if you're an unknown artist who hasn't even played the parlor room and yet you're asking to play the festival, that's just not going to happen. Right. And it's, it's silly to go, to go after it. You, know, you have to understand you build through the small rooms, and when you can fill the, the small room, you move up to a bigger room. And when you can move up to the bigger room, well, then, then maybe you're ready for the main stage of the festival. Maybe it's a fit, maybe it's not. Right. The other thing about Green River Fest is you know, you're playing to a big crowd. You should know that we don't do a lot of solo singer-songwriters. Right. It just doesn't provide enough energy to keep the crowd inter- interested in it. Right. 
um, maybe on one of the smaller stages, but but not, you know, not the big stage. And and a lot of that is just through experience. But really, it all starts with a great performance, whether it's a recorded performance or a live performance, and and touching people. And it's hard work, but gaining an audience and and engaging with your audience and and knowing who your audience is and being able to motivate them to support you. Well, and that's the same with the label too. I mean, you need, aside from people who are great, people who are, like you said, are willing to tour and are willing to build up their fan base and do what it takes to do that. I think there's a lot of people, especially new artists who feel like, oh, if I could just uh, play this gig or, oh, if I could just get on this label, then everything would it would blow doesn't up. work like that. Just does not work like that. I mean, it's cold to say, but it, you know, if you want to be a professional artist, that means you're a business, right? And you have to treat your career like a business. The support of of, of an audience is what it's going to take to to grow that business. I read a great article one time about a guy who basically said, if you can get, uh, like, if you can get a thousand fans who will always, you know, buy what you sell, you know, and you can get them to spend $100 a year, you know, you're making, you're doing okay. There you go. And say, or, you know, you can have 100 fans who are willing to spend $2,000, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you can, you know... You live in Silicon Valley. If <laughs> <the case. laughs> yeah, you got to find patrons. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's all about, you know, uh, building up your fan base. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it all boils down to. Oh, <laughs> there's one other question from, from Dr. Bob. Okay. You know Dr. Bob. Oh, I know Dr. He Bob. He said, ask Jim if he prefers pinto refried or black beans. Oh, man. I know. You, you didn't want any food questions, but... I'm a black bean guy. Yeah? No way? You never go for the refried or pinto? <laughs> I, I, like them, I like all three, actually. <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to stop. Always good to stop with beans. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jim Olson, for being a guest on the Pro Tips Podcast. Jim, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for uh, doing this. You're, you're providing a great service. I was hoping on the way out we could hear some of your guitar playing with Brooks Williams. I think that's a great idea. There you go. All right. listening to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. To find out more about Jim Olson's various projects, go to SignatureSounds.com. To order your copy of the Pro Tips book, or to make a one-time only donation to the podcast, go to ProTipsForMusicians.com. To become a sustaining podcast patron, go to Patreon.com slash Jim Henry. Thanks for listening.